Folks, to episode 3450, we had left Rumble off the uh, stream sources there, so that little delay that you saw me farting around with was uh, adding it in so that the folks on Rumble can see us today as well. That appears to be working. So what are we going to talk about today? Today is the the show of the week that will be... Digging into the thing that you guys want to hear the most. And what I want to teach you the most is solutions. But what you want to hear the most is all the bad shit. So we're going to talk about that today. To a degree, we are not going to completely engross ourselves in it. But we're going to talk about becoming ungovernable today. And what that means is I'm going to leave this off giving you guys what you want. The doom and gloom, the blood and guts, the awfulness of the modern society. That's what you tune in for. It's not what I really want to teach, right? But it's what you want to hear. So we'll do that. And there is a reason for it. I don't do it just for views. I do it because, well, if you don't understand the problem, then you're not very motivated by the solution. So what we're going to talk about again today is becoming ungovernable. And specifically that now is the time to do it. If you saw the image, the artwork... For today's episode, it's kind of creepy as shit. If you didn't and you're on the audio, I'll explain it to you. It's a group of people in kind of a medical environment with biometric markings and implants all over them and holographs, very futuristic, dystopian, and it is conjuring up images, I hope, this is what I was going for with the image, of people being domesticated like livestock to serve the purpose of being the livestock on the human farm that we, we are harvested for our energy and for our money, because that's what we are, whether you like it or not. And there's a process by that which that is done. So today's show is going to be one of those that's kind of really segmented into two parts. first part is the problem, and the second part then being the solution. So I will trick you here. You will show up because of the dystopian stuff, and then I will force you through uh, through a little bit of uh, manipulation to actually listen to the solutions and hopefully implement them in your lives. And you can say, you can say, Jack, no, 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 you're wrong. I tune into TSP for the solutions, and then I do a 100% solution-focused episode, and we end up with 40 to 100 people in a live stream. And today, by the time we hit peak, it'll probably be three to 400. So you can say that, but I know what you really want. So it is Tuesday. And I'm going to serve it up to you before we do that, though. Let's hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Above Phone. We're talking about becoming ungovernable. One way you can do that is to take back your technology. And Above Phone lets you do that. How about not having the people who made your phone spy on you? How about not having the people that made your apps spy on you and how about not having your 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 provider like AT&T or T-Mobile or you know whoever spy on you and by the way all of them selling your data to each other to other parties and reporting it to the government how how about we we, we make that all go away how about you stop having apps that uh, you know Apple or Google Play or whatever just say we don't really like what that does so we're going to take it away and get rid of it and destroy it or we're going to contact the person that made it so you have to remove them 
primary feature that made us want to use it, you know, like Domus with Apple and whatever, and take that away from you, how about you make that all just go away and become ungovernable? See, we're not just governed by the state. We're governed by a whole bunch of giant corporations, and technology is one way they excel at doing it. So check out Above Phone today. You can get an awesome phone with an independently uh, installed operating system, and you have as much privacy as you choose to. And if you want to use, <coughs> let's say, some app that you really feel that you need to use that comes on the general like Google Play Store, you can do that. You can put it in its own little prison sandbox where it can only do what it does when you really need it to do it, and otherwise it can sit there like the little bad kid it is in, uh, in what, what do you call it, uh, where you, you throw kids in like detention, right? You put it in detention until you actually want to use it. So check them out today, AbovePhone.com, and remember... If you're an MSB member, then you get a discount of $75 for any phone sold at AbovePhone.com. And if you're like, I'm not sure I can work all this Jason Bourne shit, Jack. Like, this is too complicated. You get a one-hour free phone consultation helping you walk through exactly how to use your brand-new Above Phone when you get one from them. Next up today, start nine. Again, we want to become ungovernable. Take back your technology. Instead of me telling you about Start9 today, uh, Start9 has an awesome little video they just added to their website. I'm going to go ahead and play that for you right now and let that be their sponsor segment for today. Alright guys, so one thing I want to point out about Start9 before we move into today's episode is they also do a discount for MSB members. 9% off of your product at Start9. And you can use Fold and get yourself a gift card with Start9 and save another 9%, stack them together, and end up with 18% off your embassy server. That's pretty badass. As far as I know, I'm the only... Uh, apparently, I wasn't talking. Anyway, let me let me add to that. If you, um, if you are an MSB member, you can uh, get a additional... You can get a discount on Start9 of 9%, and you can use the Fold card, buy a Start9 gift card, get another 9%, Stack those two together and get 18% off a Start9 server today. And thank you for telling me that I was muted. Legendary Farm and Helmstead, I think, was the first person that did that. Thanks for that. Anyway, I have to mute things when I play videos or it backfeeds through the microphone and you hear it twice. Uh, StreamYard has not fixed that problem for us yet. Hopefully someday they will. All right, so let's move along here and let's start talking about what, what we need to do to become ungovernable. And before we can do that, we have to figure out how governed are we? Because we're only governed so much by laws and regulations and people with tin stars on their chest and you know government bureaucrats and department of making you say there's a ton of that, but there's a whole shitload of things people do that they don't have to do and things people don't do that they could do. And let's face it, even a lot of the stuff that they say you're not allowed to do, they're not omnipotent. Plenty of people do lots of things every day that the state says either you're not allowed to do, that's, that's breaking the law, and there's tons of shit people do every day. The state says, well, you're allowed to do it, but you shouldn't. How do we break free of that? The first thing we have to do is we have to understand how we got here. I, I'm going to tell you something that many of you are going to re, you know, reject immediately when you hear it, and you're going to say, not me. And hopefully, not you is factual at least to a degree, but I guarantee you it's not 100%. There's no way, if you grew up in the last 50 years or so, that you are completely 100% free of what I'm about to explain to you. You have been domesticated. You've been domesticated. Just like we domesticate a pig or a cow. And here's what I mean by that. If like a cow or a pig goes feral 
and, and has a couple generations of babies out in the woods, their genetics are no different than the cow or the pig that exist in the, in the, in the farmyard. The, the one you can go up to and you can pet it and you can feed it out of your hands. And if it's a cow, you can milk it. And when it's a pig and you're ready to shoot it, you can throw some corn down with some beer in a bowl. And while it's gorging out, you can pop it in the back of the head with a 22 and process it into chops. And he just sits there and lets you... They're genetically the same, but the pig that's been free for a few generations, if you push it, trying to hunt it, will try to kill you. And so will the cow. I talked about this with John yesterday, John Willis, and, uh, and Builder of Castle says, and we're talking about the pig here, except they have tusks and they use them. No, no. If the pig gets out of the barnyard, whatever he has, he would have had in the barnyard unless we did something like, you know, tusk trimming or killed them before they grew. Again, I'm talking about genetically identical animals. It's very important you understand that because if you don't get that, if you don't get that, you're not going to understand how big the problem is. We are not genetically different from our great-grandparents. And that pig who got out of the barnyard and started doing other pigs and making baby pigs and doing what pigs do, and pretty much pigs in the wild, they eat, they make little pigs, and they fight. And that's it. They're the same pigs genetically. Feral pigs can F you up, says Legendary Farm and Homestead. And it's exactly what I'm saying. They will jack you up. They may grow some tusks. But they're not growing tusks because they're in the wild. They're growing tusks because nobody shot them before the tusks grew. Right? Or nobody cut the tusk off. It's the same animal. Please understand that's what I'm talking about. So, you have had that done to you. You are not supposed to be a wishy-washy, compliant, go-along-to-get-along being. You're a human. And humans are wild animals that live on planet Earth. Now, we have a higher capability of reasoning and foresight and forethought and I would even say morals and ethics than any other life form we know of on this planet though some get closer than we are comfortable admitting okay when, when dolphins see a person in danger and they rescue them and they're wild dolphins there's something going on there that gets into that realm but nobody no thing has as much of that as we do and because of that we've decided that we are somehow apart from them but we're not. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to go through how you would take a species. Let's say we had never domesticated pigs. There is no bacon except for wild bacon, right? We do not have pigs on farms. But for some reason that never happened. And today we looked at the pig and said, hey, we hunt those things. They're pretty intelligent. And the more intelligent something is, the easier it is to domesticate. This is something people don't understand. You think the dumber something is, the easier it is to domesticate. Go domesticate an alligator. Have you ever noticed? There's no domesticated alligators. There's captive alligators. There's pet alligators. And that's like having, I don't know, a, a pet lion that actually was born in the wild and you just brought it home yesterday. Because an alligator may get to the point where it kind of tolerates you. Like, it recognizes this thing brings me food and I don't need to kill it. It's not going to hurt my babies or anything. But it's not domesticated. There's no domestication of the alligator. Anybody ever see somebody like just walking around with an alligator you can take into a, like, you ever go to a petting zoo? You know, and have an alligator? Now as a kid we had an alligator we got to touch at one of the field trips we took, but like somebody was holding it and with its mouth clamped shut, right? And you could touch it to see, but you don't, you don't hand a kid the alligator, right? Because the alligator is never domesticated. It's never trained or tamed. Yeah? Why? It has a reptile brain. It's not smart. 
It knows what it knows well, but it's not smart. The higher up the intelligence, you tell me a dog's not smarter than an alligator. We've probably domesticated nothing to the level we've domesticated a dog, right? Okay, now here, bend your brain around this, because we were struggling a little bit with the whole pig thing, the tusk versus no tusk, or curly tail versus straight tail, or furry, like the pink pig that goes wild and only breeds other pink pigs will kill you just the same in one or two generations, hardcore kill you. It'll even begin to look black and all, but it's, if it only other bred with other pink pigs, it's just natural selection happening. Genetically, it's the same animal. So think about dogs. We think of dogs as cuddly creatures. They crawl up in bed with us. They love us. We rub their bellies and all. But take dogs that are known domesticated long-term breed. Golden Retrievers, German Shepherds, right? Dogs that we think of as being like really great companion animals. Let those dogs go off in the woods and have pups that grow up in the wild, and you've got a pack of animals that are as dangerous as any pack of coyotes, maybe even wolves. Same genetics. Why? Because it's not genetic. What you have to do is condition the organism, and then condition the organism in some level of the presence of its parents, and do that for generation after generation after generation, and it's a psychological uh, domestication, less a genetic one. We think it's genetics because we, we found a mallard that was fat, so we bred it until it became fatter, and then we ended up with a rowan duck, and then we found a black mallard, and we did the same thing, and we ended up with a Cayuga duck. The duck's still a duck, and physically we've altered it, but if the son of a gun could fly, it would act like a wild mallard. It's just too big to fly. But it's a, it's a duck, and it knows how to do all things duck. Humans are the same way. So how do you do this? We, we find a, a species, we've never domesticated it, it's intelligent enough to domesticate it, and we're talking about an animal that could be livestock, like a pig that never was before. Well, the first thing we do is we take it from its parents when it's young. And the first generation, we have to completely separate it from its parents. It cannot have hardly anything to do with its parents, because its parents would say, you're a threat to my kid and I'm going to kill you. You understand that, right? You can't take wild pigs into a farmyard with the captured sow that had that pig. She will kill you, and her piglets will be like, oh, we're supposed to kill him. So first generation, we separate them completely. We have to bottle feed them. We have to raise them in our hands, but not the second generation. Now, we have to be a little bit careful Well, Mama Piggy drops those babies, she might have a little bit of that mean instinct in her. And we might have to do this for a while until we find enough sows and boars that chill out. But if we're raising them from babies, it's more of a mental domestication. And then we can play with colors and sizes and shapes and all that stuff. But in the end, we're just separating them from their children. Think of what we did to Native Americans. In this country, they took the kids off the reservation, sent them to white people's school, and they separated them from their tribes and their tribal ways. Sometimes in some really awful, horrible situations, but that's what we did. And Benjamin's message, I can't read your whole comment while I'm alone, it's a long one, but he's mentioning epigenetics, which is on top of genetics. So different ways that we feed organisms and treat organisms and condition organisms activate genes that were heretofore dormant or they deactivate genes that were heretofore active. And that is pieces and parts of this as well. And it happened in humans, again, the more advanced an organism is, 
the more that becomes true, that we can activate and deactivate genes at an epigenetic level that have a mental effect on the organism. And that, that organism may actually prefer captivity to freedom. Because it's intelligent enough to make a deal with itself, well, this is worth it, except each generation gives away a little more until so much has been given away that you can't even conceive of what was there. So what do we do with children? Pre-K to 12 education. The vast majority of a child's life, they are not in the presence of their family and their parents. They're in the presence of other kids and agents of the state. I'm sorry if you don't like me calling teachers agents of the state, but if you look up the definition of what an agent is, and the state is, it is impossible to say that a person paid to do a job by the state is not an agent of the state, especially when they are given directives by the state, have to follow those directives or they get fired. That is literally an agent of the state. I know you're thinking like FBI and shit like that. In some ways, teachers are far more agents of the state than a law enforcement officer. Because they're actively engaged in being an agent of the state all day long, every day, with minds that are most subjected or subjected to, to that alteration. So we take the pig and we separate it from its mama sow, and then we will then, in the next generation, allow the sow to partially raise it, but we still create a separation. So that it doesn't get any of those bad, and every generation forward, the pig will become more and more compliant, even though genetically it's really not much different. It's exactly what we do with kids. You tell me that kids today are not more compliant and obedient to the state than they were when Gen X was kids. Than they were when your grandfather, who you thought his old stodgy guy was wearing a leather jacket and a t-shirt and blue jeans, and was probably cooler than you'll ever be. Okay? Right? This is, this is the most compliant generation we've ever had. Moving on. What else do we do? We feed it. And we feed it what we want it to eat. And we make it dependent upon us. We take away its ability to forage for itself. You know, if we're a sophisticated rancher, then we create a paddock shift system but I decide where that pig goes, when that pig eats, if that pig eats, and how much that pig eats. I decide how fat I want it to get, how skinny I want it to be. I decide what its life cycle looks like. But it ends up seeing me as its source of food. And without me, it's not going to eat. Yeah, we call that school lunches and crap junk food. I know this sounds conspiratorial. It's not. It's right out in the open. It's so obvious it's hard to accept. You create a junk food-based system of addictive carbohydrates, that, and then you put out a food pyramid that you tell people they should follow for their health, and you match it up to a bag of cattle feed, and it looks the same from a nutrient dispersal uh, arrangement, right? Like, that's exactly what we do. We put kids into a lunch program-based school system, and we provide them lots of crap food. We market it like crazy to them, so they beg Mama Pig to go out and buy them piggy food. Yeah? Okay. Starting to feel a little weird and eerie, isn't it? Okay. Well, then the other what else happens when we fully domesticate an animal? At least when we do paddock shift, pastured pork or something like that. The animal lives a somewhat normal life for a pig. It lives outside, it breathes clean air, etc. But when we really want 
that pig completely under control. We want to say exactly seven months this pig is bacon. What do we do? We put it in a giant barn. We do it with a chicken. We want to do it in eight to 12 weeks. Where does it go? A giant chicken house. What happens? Everybody gets sick. Everybody starts rebelling. Pigs try to kill you when you walk by their little cage that they can barely turn around and turn around in if they're lucky. Try guy goes up, tries to take it up, pig tries to kill him. Pig gets sick, falls over, gets pig flu and dies. Chickens die so much they have to bring front end loaders in to take the dead chickens out every day in a chicken house with 20,000 chickens in it. So what is the solution, my friends in the live stream? What is the solution when the animals start acting up, getting sick, dying, having rotted parts of their body because they're laying on the concrete instead of the grass? What do you do? What do you do? You drug them. You give them drugs. You start medicating them. <laughs> okay. So you medicate them so they can be kept in unnatural conditions. I'm not making this up. This is how you domesticate an animal. Especially when you want to take domestication to the extreme. You want to create a factory environment that produces pork or eggs or chicken or steak. This is what you do. You medicate the animal because you've now moved the animal into a production environment that is unnatural and the animal can't survive or even be remotely comfortable unless you drug it. 70% of Americans, this is aged 1 to death, 1 to 100, 70% of all people in this country are on at least one maintenance prescription medication. At least one. 50% are on two or more. Half the population takes two drugs every day of their life and will until they die or more. Well, why, why would that happen? I don't know. You take 30 kids, cram them in a room, stick them behind a desk, tell them to sit there, shut up, do what they're told, listen to everything that they don't care about, pay attention to shit that doesn't matter to them for eight to nine hours a day, Test them on bullshit that they know intrinsically that they're never going to care about. Not they're never going to need. They're never going to care. They're not, it's not even they're never going to need. They're never going to care about half the shit you're trying to put in their head. Huh. Wait a minute. I know the ones that don't shut up and do what they're told will give them drugs. We'll give them a little bit of meth. Well, doesn't that act them up? If you give a little bit of meth to somebody that's acting up, it actually calms them down. Oh, well, let's do that. Let's do that. And what do the drug companies in all of this say? Market growth, baby. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me half the people out there are not taking one of our drugs every day? Boy, we got some room to grow. And even if you had 100%, they'd be like, so what percent are taking two? What percent are taking at least two? Oh, half. Oh, no, wait. Market growth, baby. I don't even know what it would take. Where they would just stop being like, we need it to be three. We need it to be four. We need. I don't know if there is a number that they would quit at. I mean, there would probably be a point where you would start to be able to, people would start dying in such numbers, you know, that you'd have to. But that's a long way off, man. You can be sick. They, they would rather you be sick and miserable and live to be 70 than healthy and vibrant and live to be 90. Right? You're a domesticated piece of livestock. What do you do... What do you do with, with the plow ox when he's too old to pull the plow anymore? 
stew. That's why you name the ox stew. Because when he can't pull the plow anymore, you didn't buy him to be a pet. You're like, sorry, stew. Love you, man. You've been a great animal. Look out over there. Grinder, baby, right? Start making some oxtail soup out of stew. That's you. What the hell do they want you for once you're washed up? Now you're a drain on the system. And you're not a useful drain. You know, the people that are young and vibrant and could work that are drains on the system through welfare, those people are useful because you can use them to scare the producers. Hey, if we don't pay them, they'll go crazy and tear your house down. Right? Just be a good little animal and do what you're told on the farm. It'll all be okay. So we're going to drug the creature so that it can live in an unnatural condition, reasonably comfortable, and not die. That's what they do to you. I ain't done yet either. Next, you know, you're going to have to condition it to follow and be obedient to commands. You need to be going, hey, cows, yeah, cows, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, he's opening the gate. It's time to go eat the other grass. And they all run over, right? Yeah? Yeah? Right? I mean, people that do it right, like Mark Shepard has his pigs trained to go into trailers. He feeds them in the trailer, pets them. And when it's graduation day and they're going to go off to get graduated into bacon... Here, piggy, piggy, and they get right in the thing, you close the door, and, hey, why are we moving? I don't know. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. How did they get all those people to willingly get on boxcars in the 1930s and 40s in Germany? Moo, come on. We're going somewhere better. It'll be all right. Don't worry about it. We, well, all those stories you heard, that's all crazy talk, right? No. It's exactly where we're at right now. We condition it to be, be obedient, follow commands. Like what? Like, ring... Change classes. Ring. Take a break. Right? Ring. Sit down in your seat down in your seat, Billy and Bobby and Johnny. Have you ever noticed that like probably 80% of what, what kids get from school is conditioning and training and only 20% is actual education? You want me to prove it? I can prove it with a pop culture reference. Are you smarter than a fifth grader is a game show. Remember that game show? Jeff Foxworthy's game show? So you bring this guy in. Well, what do you do? I am a professional engineer, and I work for an aerospace company. Are you good? I don't know. I've been doing it for 20 years. I lead a team of 10 other engineers, and we just designed this plane that can literally fly almost to the edge of space. Uh, you must be pretty good. Here's a fifth-grade science question. Gets it wrong. Is he stupid? Is he dumb? Or was that question that fifth graders are being given today possibly not even something taught when he was in fifth grade? And even if it was, did we just prove that that science question that kid had to memorize is completely fucking useless, even for somebody who's an aerospace engineer? It's the second one, in case your brain's not catching up with this yet and realizing how programmed it was. Most of the shit we force kids to learn in school, they don't need to know. They are there to learn to be Pavlov's dog. Ring the bell, the dog salivates because it's going to get fed. You are being conditioned. The entire system of the education that we're using today was developed in Prussia in the 1800s, brought to America, and was designed for a factory workforce. People that would be smart enough to do as they were told, but dumb enough not to question why. People that would obey the bell. Obey the bell. Obey the bell. Remember the, TV, the, 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 the uh, movie 
The Christmas movie, one of my favorite movies of all time for Christmas. With the BB gun, A Christmas Story with Ralphie. Remember when the kid gets his tongue stuck on the on the uh, flagpole? And, and the, the, the kids, like his friends, even the ones that goaded him into it, they don't really want to leave him, but the bell rings? The bell rang! Like, I was like, the bell rang! I, sorry, gotta go into the school. Obey the bell. Obey the bell. And then be afraid to get caught by authority and don't say, hey, you know, Flick is out there with his tongue stuck to the, the, the pole. Right? Obey the bell and fear authority. That's what school teaches you. I'm sorry. I don't care if you don't like it. That's the truth. I don't care if you're a school teacher and it pisses you off. I'm sorry. That's the truth. It doesn't mean teachers are evil. But you are agents of the state. And you are subject to the system that manipulates you that if I wasn't the one criticizing it, you would be. But when somebody else criticizes it, you defend it. Because you're, if you're a teacher in the public school system today, you're more mentally fucked up in the head than the average person who is majorly fucked up in the head. I'm sorry, it's true. It's true. And the ones that aren't, you know what happens? Y'all quit. You're the ones that send me emails saying I'm right about everything. And the people that you left behind, when they quit... They'll say it too, but they won't say it until they quit. Because as long as your paycheck is dependent on not understanding something, you'll make damn sure that you don't. Okay, let's move on from there. So now we've been conditioned to be obedient and follow commands. Ring a bell, change classes, ring a bell, take a break, go to work, right? Even at work, what do you have? You got the bell. That's the break time. You got the bell. That's start work. Bell, your time off. Clock in, clock out, ding, ding, ding. There's a reason both systems use it. There's a reason the school system looks like the prison system. It's conditioning. Conditioning organism. Right? You can train anything. You can condition anything. But the higher the mental state, the more effective the conditioning is if you start young enough. Don't forget that. Okay. Then, you got to provide animals with some level of amusement or enrichment or they will get fed up with their captivity. I mean, you know what they do? Like, you have polar bears in Dallas, Texas, at the zoo. That's not where a polar bear belongs. No. Where does a polar bear belong? Where it snows. A lot. Like, the North Pole area. Like, northern freaking Canada. That's where polar bears belong. So what do they do? They make a big, giant pool, and they refrigerate the water, and they throw shit that floats and bobs around in there. Even with the chilled water, it can't be ice, so they put, like, a big giant ball or some shit in there, or a barrel, and the bear, like, uh, he plays. Right? Do you think polar bears do a lot of that in the wild? All animals play some, but probably not much. Probably not. He's more busy, like, how do I get that seal and eat his ass? Right? He's hunting. You take the gorilla, and you get a puzzle box, and you put shit, so he has to figure out how to get in there, right? You keep, them, you keep them occupied. You stimulate their mind. They literally call it enrichment. Enriching the habitat to make it more natural. There's nothing natural about it. There's nothing natural about it. You hide the piece of meat and make the leopard find it. That's not how leopards work. I mean, they do steal from other leopards and shit, but leopards pretty much work like this. There's a bunch of freaking antelope out there. I'm going to sneak up on him, look for the stupid or slow one, kill his ass, hang him up in a tree and eat him over a few days. 
we don't simulate that in, in, in I was going to say prison, right? We don't simulate that in the zoo. We give them an analog because the actual thing would be too close to reality and start leading the animal back toward its natural state. So we call it a wild state. It's not a wild state. It's a natural state. You have a wild state and you have a, a, an unnatural state. You, you, you have a natural state and an unnatural state of any organism. And the natural state of a human being is not in a high-rise. We didn't evolve in high-rises. We evolved on this planet walking it, picking things up, smelling it, tasting it, understanding it, eating it, not eating it, hunting it, defending against it, cooperating, warring. All of these are natural states of humanity. And it's how we work things out. And because of our big brains, we're able to do it at a much higher level with a lot more cooperation. But we're not that much different than, than all these other creatures. So we need amusement and enrichment. What do we have for people? Well, they're in school. We have recess and toys to play with. And, you know, as they get older, we have things like video games. And for adults, we have things like Netflix and sports betting and all kinds of ways to amuse our brains Because the brain is like, I'm bored. I'm bored. You're not challenging me. Well, here, do this complex algebra problem. You know what? If you're a person that, that is of that bent, that's useful to you. Most people are like, what does it do? Well, it's an abstract thing. The letter represents a number. And by luck, you'll I'm bored. Okay, here's, here's something on Netflix to binge. You know, if we were spending our time walking through nature more often, we would watch Netflix less often. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying Netflix. I have a Netflix subscription, right? I'm not saying in of itself it's bad. I'm saying if it becomes the thing that you do with your time, other than what the government says to do with your time, it's just enrichment. And that is a very hollow word when you think about giving a polar bear a big giant poly blue barrel to play with in a cooled pond in Dallas, Texas is not enrichment. It's not enrichment. It's distraction. It's distraction so that bear won't really try, to, no matter how high that wall is or whatever, if that bear really put everything he had into it, he probably could figure out how to get out or at least kill a zookeeper because he's pissed. So it's something to keep that from happening. Think about that the next time you're like, what series do I binge next? Right? Or you think the result of a, of a Super Bowl or an NBA playoff is important. I, I'm not saying you can't enjoy it, but it's not important. It's not important. I know people who will not get up half an hour early to work out that are fat and say they just don't have time to work out. But they'll get up two hours early to get opening day tickets to see the Rangers. Think about that. Enrichment. Distraction. Amusement. It's necessary to control an organism. And next, you make every major decision for the animal. Whether it lives in a cage, in a pork house, or a poultry house, where you feed it a specific amount of food on a daily basis and you decide when it's done and when, what it needs to weigh and what medications it gets and everything else, right? Or if you do it in a more natural way where you have paddock shifts. See, I don't have a problem doing this with animals. I have a problem doing it with humans. The cow is put in the paddock one day, the next paddock the next day, the next paddock the next day, a well-run operation, 
You can ask that farmer. Today is February 20th, 2024. Uh, look down on that sheet right there. Where will these animals be on August 3rd, 2024? They'll be here, and there'll be 10 less of them, because that's how many of them are going to sale barn by then. Between now and then, what medications, what mineral supplements, what supplemental feed will they receive? Here's a list. Right? That's how you run a farm. Or you go broke. You either do that or you go broke. That's how farms work. Tell me they don't do that for us. They tell me that they don't have directed diets for us. They tell us what we should eat. And what happens when you say, you know what? I don't think you should eat that way. Misinformation! What's your source? And your source could literally be God. You could be like, humans shouldn't eat this way. What's your source? Hold on a second. And you pray. Like, this is obviously fantasy land. But it wouldn't matter. That's my point. I'm going to the extreme. You pray, and then like, ah, and light comes down, and God would descend behind you. And he would say, my children, this human is correct. You should not eat that way. Ah, it goes back up to heaven. And over half the people would go, I don't think so. I trust the government more than some god. Even if they didn't think it was an illusion or a deep fake. Like, nothing will convince them otherwise because they've been conditioned to a point where they cannot respond any differently. That's called training, not teaching. Training is the conditioning of an organism until it cannot behave differently than you have conditioned it to behave. It has to break training. Education is teaching a thing how to do things and how to understand things and how to work things out but not controlling what they do with the information. That's a very important difference. We train to domestication, we teach to empower. Right? Or we, at least we're supposed to. So what we do is we call training, teaching, and deceive everybody. And then the parent, who should be the one saying, listen, my child, don't listen to this bullshit. Remember who and what you are. Says, Johnny, Susie, do what the teacher says. Right? And when the school says, we need parental involvement, you know what they mean? We need you to tell your kids to shut the fuck up and do whatever we say. They don't want parental involvement. Parental involvement would be, well, what are you teaching my kid and why? Why did you change the way we do math after 40 years so that I don't understand it when the kid comes home with it, when I'm a fucking engineer and I can do math out my ass? And I don't understand what you're teaching my kid in 11th grade now because it doesn't make any sense to me. Why did you do that? separation from the parents. See, these all weave together. That's parental involvement, though. Why are you teaching my children about gender when they're seven? And you're telling them confusing, non-scientific bullshit like there's 84 genders. Why is my, why is my kid that's still in elementary school being given a book that shows how to perform oral sex? That's parental involvement. They do not want that. They want you to be a good pig and make sure the little pig listens to the farmer. Animal Farm was called that for a reason. That's exact. Fisher Ken says they need parental enforcement. They do want, want parental involvement. You have been told recently, in fact, it is not your place to question the education system or tell teachers what to say and what to do. You are not to have a role in that. You are not a professional. You need to be a fucking professional to figure out what a fourth grader needs to learn. You have to be a domesticated piece of livestock to tolerate somebody telling you that to their face without telling them to go 
fuck themselves. That should be your first response. If you talk to somebody in your school district, or you hear a politician or a bureaucrat speaking, and they even infer that a parent of a fourth or a fifth grader should not be dictating to at least a degree what the curriculum for their child is, and you don't immediately think, go fuck yourself, asshole. You are 100% domesticated at this point. You are right in line with the plan. That should be your first reaction. You do not tell me that I do not have a right to decide what my child learns and when my child learns it. When you feel that in yourself, you're getting in touch with the feral, wild, natural you. The one they're trying to beat out of you, by the way. That's why they reacted with such violence. Did you notice how violent the objections were? The censorship was? And I don't mean necessarily violent like with a club But just think about the way the media and the government attacked. Anybody that had any opinion other than the conventional narrative during the COVIDs. It was a violent opposition. You only get that... When, you, when do you use force on your dog? When they're disobeying. Right? You don't tell the dog sit, the dog sits and you jerk the clench collar. You tell the dog to sit, the dog goes to, to not sit, and then you use the reinforcement. You use moderate... Very mild, actually, violence there to condition the response. It's exactly what they do. In the end, all these animals that we think of as being domesticated, tame, whatever you want to call it, they all could kill you and they could all get away and none of them do. My dog, Charlie, is a half pit bull, half pointer. He weighs about 100 pounds. He's definitely getting older, sadly. I hate to see it, but he's lost a step. But if you don't think that dog could have killed me in seconds just a few years ago, then you've never met that dog. If that dog wants freedom, he could kill everybody in this house and walk away. He doesn't do it. Why? He feels like he made a good deal. You don't think a cow can kill you? I'm not even a bull. Just your average, everyday cow. How, how easily could a full-grown adult cow kill a human being? The answer is really, 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 really easily. You don't think they can get away? Right? Or a horse? Anybody that's ever seen a horse action, like a horse that gets spooked with a rider and the rider end, a horse can kill you like that. A pig? I mean, you can throw a person ass over end into a pigsty with domestic pigs. They'll probably eat them alive. But a pig wants to kill you. A pig, love cat says, ramps will fuck you up. Yes. You don't think a you know that little 110 pound ram? What do you think happens if he decides I want this guy dead and goes full tilt as hard as he can and drops that into your kidneys? You don't think you're dead? If you're not dead, you are fully incapacitated. You are going to the hospital. You have massive internal injury. They don't do it. They obey. What makes them obey? Oh, we keep them captive. Really? Because I've walked around cattle, I've walked with pigs, I've belly rubbed pigs. Why don't they do it? Because you're no longer seen as a threat. And are you not actually? I mean, I know animals are not people, so don't take this wrong. But are you not actually their ultimate threat? You are the person that will decide when they die, how they die, and if they die. And most of them will die. They don't understand that. They trust you. You've built trust. 
even though your trust is for a nefarious end. Again, I'm okay with a cow doing that, but I'm not okay doing that to people. That's what we've done. When they talk about socialization, they don't mean socialization. They mean domestication. When they say we need to make sure our children are socialized, they don't mean that they talk to each other, communicate like adults, and share ideas. They mean they learn to shit, sit down and shut the fuck up when they're told. They need to obey the bell. Not engage in unruly behavior, whatever they decide that is this time. Like questioning authority, that's very unruly. They want kids in schools to be taught opinions as facts. And they get very upset when you get in the way of it, which is why you should get away with it. The domestication of the human species is what this is. So let's turn a corner. How do we break free from the system? Okay, the first thing I'm going to tell you is something John and I talked about yesterday. You're not going to like hearing it if you don't have any money, but money's important. Money is actually the first means of control. So one way or another, if you want to be fully free, you need some form of financial independence. And that doesn't mean you had a job that can pay all your bills and you can save a little bit of money every month. That's better than the alternative of not having that. But how many people, I wonder, would be honest in this uh, live stream right now, would say me. You got the stabby stab during the COVIDs. You didn't want to, but you were going to lose your job if you didn't. So in the end, you decided to comply. Now, given that I do these in the middle of the day, most of the people that show up here probably have some way that they've escaped the system. Not all. Some might be in an undisclosed warehouse, right, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I see you, Rachel. Um, but many of you guys, you know, I can tell by the comments and what you're saying and what you're doing, you're not at work. But there's one, Packrat says me. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of military people. I know some that were on the old retirement plan and they were like, I got four years till full retirement. I have to chance it. And they did it. And some of them had bad reactions and some didn't. But I know tons of people who didn't want to do it. My sister-in-law sat in the parking lot for 30 minutes thinking, I don't want to do this. And ended up giving in and doing it because she was afraid she's going to lose her job. So if you were financially independent, you would have said, take that job, roll it up really tight, stick it up your ass. Or I'll keep working, but I'm not doing this, right? That's if you had a job and you were financially independent. Do you think I even considered it? I mean, I'm not bragging here. I'm just saying, like, I'm a podcaster. I work for myself. Do you think for one second I was like, man, maybe I should? No. No stabby stab. And there was nothing anybody could say. You couldn't bribe me with a hamburger and french fries because I wasn't in New York City, de Blasio, right? But there was nothing you could do. A free donut, uh, put another celebrity on, have somebody take their music off Spotify, whatever. There's nothing you could do. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Nothing you can do, nothing you can say. I made a medical decision based on my own instincts and my own risk versus one side versus the other. What were the, what were the risks of the stab? What were the risks of not getting the stab? Very simple decision for me to make. It was even okay. I know some of you don't feel this way. It would have even been okay, though, if I would made the other decision, as long as it was my choice. I wonder how many people that did it wouldn't have done it 
if they did not have leverage applied against them. And I don't mean the the, uh, the social pressure, which was huge. I mean an actual fear of loss. Losing my job, some countries being able to go to a grocery store or a restaurant. Take that away and I wonder what the compliance number would have really been. Whatever it is, the fact that it's lower shows it's not natural. It wasn't a choice. It was a mandate. It was a system of control. Money is what separates that before everything else. Do you think you can make a billionaire do something by threatening their employment? That's why I'm going, I'm going to an extreme because it's an obvious answer. No. Do you think, let, let's take somebody like Elon Musk, right? Do you think if Tesla said, you know what, you're not even on the board anymore unless you do this thing and he really didn't want to do that thing, you think he'd just go like, meh, I, I get to keep my stock, right? Yeah, then to piss off. I got other companies. I don't care. So the closer you get to financial independence, the less controllable you are by money. Money's important. So you have different ways that that can come about. One is to be a very high-earning professional with a J-O-B. This is problematic, but it's better than not, right? So a person that makes a lot of money, let's say somebody makes quarter million to half a million dollars a year. The danger in that is if their employment is threatened, they've probably built a lifestyle on the income flow. And they're actually easier to leverage because they have more to lose. But if they've been doing it for 20 years, and they've got a few million dollars saved, it starts to be a little bit different, doesn't it? It starts to be a little bit different. Yeah? They start to be like, well, I don't know if I really care if I lose this now because I have lots of money and I have no bills because I paid for everything. So one path is to just make a shitload of money and be wise with it. And we talk about that all the time. Another path, though, is developing a side hustle. People that have side hustles are less subjective to this manipulation as well because they're not going to be left with nothing. So let's say I'm making two grand a month off my side hustle and I have a job making a hundred grand a year. I don't want to lose my job. But if you push me hard enough, I'm like, but I already have this thing I've built up to this level. Like, what if I just gave it my all? And I wouldn't have nothing. I'd have something. I could even legally structure it right to where I could draw an employment after they got rid of me for six months while I still have my other thing going over here. There's ways to do that. I'm not going to get into it today. It's a little status jujitsu. If I'm smart, I kind of built it with that in mind in the first place. Maybe it's whoever, whichever spouse is the lower income side of the equation, the business is in their name. That would be one of several strategies to do that. So side hustles. Running a business, but one that's regulated. I'm going to go. I'm kind of going up the chain from least best to best case scenario. So beyond a side hustle would be you run a business. You control your own business. You control your own fate. It's yours. You have employees. You don't. But you're in a regulated space where you can be subject to leverage and push. For instance, technically, if you were a medical provider and you accepted Medicare or Medicaid as payment, which almost all of them do, you were under the Biden mandate to require all your employees to get the stabby stab. Many of them use that as an excuse to do it 
And some of them, know a few, just didn't do it. Just kind of went to their employees and said, hey, you should get the stabby stab, and we'll do it for you because we're a medical facility. And then they just shut up about it and never brought it up again. And some people, like my daughter-in-law, just went, that's a nice opinion you have there. I'm just going to go on about my life. But she could have worked for a different office. It could have been a totally different situation. So that is a, the business owner is in a regulated environment. So a doctor, a lawyer, somebody doing something with chemical. If you, your business requires a permit or a license that is subject to being pulled, you're in a regulated business space. An electrician has licensure, right? So if you require a license to do your business, you're in a regulated business space. You're still so far ahead of the average person because you can usually, in many situations, ignore the leverage and they don't have time to bother you. But the next space up in total freedom is running a business that is unregulated or most, because everybody's regulated to a degree. But there's no podcast regulations yet. Right? There's no, like, to be a podcaster in the United States, you require a federal broadcasting, you know. Th like, there's common law things, like, for libel and, and things like that that you can get uh, sued for. But overall, there's really nothing you can do to a podcaster to stop a podcaster from podcasting. It's software. It's not even a platform. I mean, I would be pretty pissed if iTunes threw me out or Spotify threw me out or whatever. But in the end, if you really want to listen to what I have to say, RSS is RSS. It is a protocol, not a platform. It doesn't give a fuck. It will send information wherever you want it to go. As long as you have the ability to have a web server, which you can even host in your own house, you can be a podcaster. And that's just one example. There are tons of businesses that either are unregulated or they may as well be. The person with the little backyard farm, they're in a, you know, farming's a regulated business. The person with the backyard farm, 99% of the time, in spite of what we hear, the, the horror stories, is completely left alone because they don't have time to mess with you. And where you live and how you operate has a lot to do with how unregulated you become. So that would be kind of the next up in the hierarchy. You build an unregulated business. The next is... Designing a life, and this one goes with all the other ones. Design your life that is inexpensive as possible and yet fulfilling. How much leverage do you have over a person who pays for all their food at a store or a restaurant with money they earn from a job? The answer is a lot. And you have more, not less, if they have kids. Because nobody like wants to see their kid go hungry. I'll go hungry before I let my grandkids go hungry, let alone my son. Most parents feel the same way. I will live on stale bread to put good food in my kid before I let my kid go hungry. And I think, again, most of us would. So when you have somebody 100% of their food, they have to buy with their income, and they have a job. You have massive leverage. How much leverage do you have over a person that buys 50% of their food and produces 50% of their food? Some, but, but you have less, don't you? Don't you? How much leverage do you have over a person that produces like 80% of their food and the 20% they buy is like luxury items that they can't produce, like coffee and chocolate and stuff like that? Very little, even if they have a job. Because I'm still going to eat. 
And if they have paid for their house or their house payment is such that, you know what, if you get rid of me, I can go down to the corner store and get a job sweeping the floor and I can cover my base expenses. You have very little leverage. Right? Builder of Castle says, why eat stale bread when you can bake it yourself? Hey, depends on what situation you're in, man. Maybe the fresh bread I baked today is for the kid and the stale bread from yesterday is for me because my kid comes first. Because we are humans and we think about taking care of our offspring. Just the way that mama pig does. Which is why we can control it through its offspring. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, the more we design our life to provide for us versus us having to provide for our lives, the more we transition from home to homestead, which has been something I've been talking about since 2008, the more freedom we have. Moving on. Um... We could sort out the money thing one way or another, but there's other things we really need to look at. One is you have got to get out of the major cities if you're in one. And the window to do it keeps getting closed tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, and there's less room to get out. I, I was saying before COVID, during the lead up to it, and some of the crazy shit that was going on even before to get out of the cities. But then when the COVID stuff hit, and then we had the riots, the BLM riots, and I was like, get out, get out, get out. And I said then it will be harder in a couple of years than it is right now. And right now it's harder than it was two or three years ago. Isn't it? Isn't it? Do you know how I can say that? One, because the general trend is that way. But two is, I know something about you. I know something about everyone listening to this. I'm going to be 100% right in what I'm about to say. You don't think I can do this, right? I can talk to thousands and thousands of people and tell you I know something about you and be 100% correct. Okay, here we go. Every day you get older. Every day you get older. And because every day you get older, every day leaving where you are becomes more difficult because you become more ensnared by where you are unless you are actively working a plan of extraction. If you are just going along to get along with the idea in your mind that someday I want out of this, five years from now, it's harder than it was five years ago. Even if the situation on the ground makes, like, interest rates come down, property's a little bit more affordable, it's still harder because you're more entrenched. How'd I do? It's true about every one of you. About the only people that's not true of is if you're, like, 14. 14 in five years, you'll be 19. You have greater earning capacity 100% legal freedom from your parents, and you can do whatever you like. right? So there is that, that's the one time you cross over where aging actually makes something easier. It's growing from you know little kid into adolescent and from adolescent to young adult. Those progress you toward freedom. That point forward, without active work on it, every day makes you more enslaved and more imprisoned and more controlled. Get out of the cities. If you want to, at least... And if, if you want to, then you cannot have just this vague concept. You need to sit down and say, get out by when? And if you put a date that's way the hell out there, why? I'm going to wait for my kids to graduate school. Kids make new friends, move, put your kid in new school. In fact, maybe not at all. Anyway, we'll get to that. You've got to go while you can. It always gets harder. You know, lots of old people move to Florida, but by the time they move to Florida, they have a couple couple years of walking on the beach before they're using a walker. Move while you can enjoy the beach. 
whatever the beach is for you, because not everybody wants to go to the Florida beach. Um, we have to develop local economies, and we have to develop strategic import-export economies. And what do I mean by that? So the local economy thing is pretty obvious. We need to be doing business with people we know on a first-name basis that we can, even if we're... You know, putting an order in on the phone or the internet that gets shipped to our house. Like, if we wanted to, we could get in our car in a reasonable amount of time, drive over to them and say, hey, I just want to say I appreciate what you do for me, man. Thanks for being a good provider. Or if they wanted to come see us, they'd be, hey, I, I appreciate you being a good customer. Even if you don't do it, you should be able to. Some significant portion of your local economy should be just that. Even when it is some items that come in from somewhere else, you still should be buying from Joe's store instead of Walmart. Yeah? We need to do that. And we need to build more of that. And we can't, again, I've said this all the time, we can't all do the same thing. We can't all do the same thing. If everybody grows tomatoes, there's no market to sell tomatoes. And that's okay. If that's the case, great. Then we don't have a tomato market. We don't need one. We have markets for things that we can't get without them. And a whole shitload of our markets are fabricated markets. Either it's something we don't really need and nobody really wants and we've been convinced that we do want it or need it. Right? Or it's something we do need but we could provide but we don't. Because we've gotten lazy and we've lost touch with who and what we are. We are hunter-gatherer horticultural primates. That's what we are. We are plant-cultivating, plant seeking, foraging, and animal-killing primates that live collectively together by choice through voluntary association. That's the natural state of the human being. The further we're divorced from that reality, the more subject we are to living on the animal farm, where all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Just simple this is. That's why anything this bad that's this simple, falls under the same explanation as why people do not understand the banking system. There's a misattributed quote from Henry Ford. Supposedly Henry Ford said, if the people of this country understood the banking system, there'd be a revolution before tomorrow morning. Sounds great. There's actually no record of him ever saying that at all. What there is a record of Henry Ford saying is that the banking system is so simple that the mind repels it. It can't be. It can't be. They can't give you money they don't have, charge you interest for it, and use your promise to pay as the collateral to create the money that didn't exist before they created it, and you pay all the money back, including the money they created, and they keep it all... No. Yes. It's actually very simple, isn't it? Create a system that gives a bank the power to write a check for money they do not have based on the promise of the person borrowing the money to pay it back using the real property as collateral and the bank keeps all the profit, even though they've tendered no consideration. There's nothing complicated about that. It just doesn't make any sense because it's too simple. A lot of what I'm telling you today, that's where it falls. It's too simple. Next, we need to be growing, uh, learning to eat natural foods. I'm not going to keto you today or carnivore you today. I'm not. I'm not. Not even a little bit. 
Not even backhanded, not even subversively. I'm going to stick to this. There is food, and there is chemically infused feed. Right? We have food or feed. How do we know if it's food or feed? If you read the label, and there's more than a few ingredients in there, like it should be like if you were reading potato chips, right? There were actual potato chips. It should say potatoes, lard, right? Or olive oil, some some oil, some fat that humans are supposed to consume, not a seed oil, salt. That would be it. If you read something on there like dihydrogenated potassium potato sulfate infused Asperger, that's probably not real food. If you see FD&C yellow number nine, it's not food. It's not food. One more time. It's not fucking food. Ninety percent of the shit sold in our grocery stores is not food. It's not food, it's feed. It's feed. And until you understand that, you're going to have a very hard time breaking breaking away from it. If I told you I'm giving you feed, you'd be like, you know what, I don't think I want feed. I, I'd rather have food, please. But if I convince you that something in a box with 97 ingredients... That, by the way, if you buy the same box of food in Europe, like over half those ingredients, it's same brand, same flavor... Same picture on the label. Like half of those 90 ingredients are not even in it because they're not even legal to sell people as food in Europe. Go look it up if you doubt me. Look up what the ingredients of Doritos in the United States and Doritos in the UK. Go look at the ingredients and see for yourself. Now there's still shit in the UK stuff that I wouldn't eat, but there's a lot more of it here. We need to eat real food. Real food is one ingredient, and maybe salt, or an herb, or an oil. That's it. If it has more than one ingredient in it, you combine them. Like I said, I'm not going to go keto carnivore. Let's say you want to make stew. You know what goes in stew? I'll tell you what goes in stew. If it's beef stew, beef, potatoes, carrots, celery, water... Salt, herbs, and a thickening agent, which would be something like a good quality flour. Said I wasn't going keto. You can have the flour, right? And probably a fat to incorporate with the thickening agent, like butter. Comes from an animal, dairy product. Humans have been eating it for thousands of years. That's what stew is. Go to the store, find a canned stew, read the ingredients. All those things will be in there and 18 other things that you should not put in your body. You cannot break free of being a domesticated animal, which you are, if you're eating domesticated animal feed, which most of your food supply is. And the whole plant-based diet shit, you can do that naturally too. But the truth is Americans already are on a plant-based diet. Plant-based, what does that mean? They don't say vegan because they know everybody's going to be like, oh, F that. They don't say vegetarian because they know most people are going to be like, oh, F that. Vegetarian options once a week, twice a week, you know, meat-free Friday, whatever. Like, people will get on board with that. You tell people straight up vegetarian, the average person, we haven't been conditioned enough to it. They're working on it. Your grandchildren will probably be willing to do it if, if you don't intervene. 
But they're like, F that. So what do they say? Plant-based. What does plant-based mean? It simply means the majority of your calories come from plant sources. So if it was, if you had a diet that was 51% of calories from plant-based things and 49% from animal-based things, you'd have a plant-based diet. So 60-40, you would definitely have a plant-based diet. Depending on the estimates that you look at, the average American's calories come 70-80% to 80% from plants. We are already on a plant-based diet, and we have an epidemic of obesity, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and more so than we had 50 years ago, when there was less of it. So again, I am not telling you you have to go keto. My family was not fat when I was a kid. They ate bread all the time. My grandmother made it from scratch. We ate pierogies. Do you know what? Some of you guys are, you know, you, you, I feel bad for you. Right? Like if I'm going to cheat and eat something I'm not supposed to, like a pierogi is something I'm going to eat. A pierogi is this little dough pocket and it's got mashed potatoes. Like there's a bunch of different ones, but the classic is mashed potatoes and cheese and this little dough pocket. And then it's, it's, it's steamed or it's boiled like a little dumpling. And then you serve it on a plate with like butter and onions on it. We ate that shit all the time. Because my grandmother had to feed a huge family and do it cheap. And you could buy a 50 pound sack of potatoes for like four bucks. And you know when you made them really good? You took the butter and onions and you put it in the cast iron skillet. And you take the steamed pierogi that's already cooked through. And you throw it in there and you brown the outsides of it. I'd rather you eat that than food that comes in a box from the grocery store. And you'd probably lose weight even though it's potatoes and it's too much carbs. Depending on what position you're in. Right? Like, you have to figure out what real food is. And the number one way to do this is, do not buy any seed oils at all. Do not buy anything with an ingredient in it you cannot pronounce. Do not buy your food in a box. Cook your food. And for fats and oils, you use animal fats, or something like olive oil, which is not a seed oil, how do you get olive oil? You take olives, you throw them in a thing, you lightly press them, the oil comes out. Right? That's an oil, like avocados, same thing. That's a fruit oil, not a seed oil. Go look how they make any seed oil and you won't want to eat it. Eat real food. Get off the livestock feed, you'll stop acting like livestock. Why do you think they want you to eat it? Why do you think it's so important to them that you eat your gruel? What do you, what do, you do when you have a, a, like a cult? You have a bunch of people join the cult and you want to break their will so they stay adherent to the cult? You feed them gruel. It's cheap and it, it dims them down. You cut their protein, you cut their fat, you put them on a carb-based diet and they become compliant and soft. Like a pig or a cow. You know, you, you, cows at least are herbivores. They're supposed to live on vegetation. They're ruminants. You put a pig in the wild. If a pig can kill something, it's going to kill it and it's going to eat it. It's an omnivore. Pigs are more like us than cows. Be the pig, not the cow. I'm not going to talk about that today, but I've talked about it before. you got to grow your own food. Part of that's the basic lifestyle design of being less dependent. And we have to start thinking more about growing animal-based food as homesteaders, permaculturists, small farmers, etc., not just gardens. You know, we should have little orchards, little nut orchards, little gardens everywhere we possibly can. We should try to make food, like, you know, 
we got to be careful we don't grow, like, big nuts, like walnuts, because if a cop is going to lose his mind and try to kill somebody, already in his custody, handcuffed in his own cruiser because an acorn fell on the car, we, we better be careful with walnuts. I mean, that could result in SWAT teams roping in and shit. That's a little aside for those of you that don't know about it. You'll have to look it up. Just look, cop tries to kill person because of acorn. I'm sure you'll find it. I'm not making it up. Who in the live stream has seen it? It's a Florida cop, too. Florida man cop, right? Florida man cop. Acorn fell on his car. He had already arrested the guy. Had him handcuffed. Put him in his own cruiser. And Acorn falls. Hits the hood of the car. He hits the ground. Starts freaking out like he's in a war. Crawling on the ground. Making all kinds of noise. Screaming, shots fired, shots fired. Gets another cop who's on scene shooting at the thing too fortunately both of them can't shoot worth a fuck so the guy survives but i mean he had to have shit i mean i wouldn't even put him down for it he probably shit himself you're sitting in a car you're arrested the guy was being a dick harassing people or something right he, he deserved to get arrested he didn't deserve to get shot at so we got to be careful we yeah yeah shots fired i'm hit yeah it, it, this guy like i don't even know how this guy didn't know how to reload and this guy was like a a, a U.S. Army Ranger or something, a, an officer that had you know left the service and joined. And I don't know if he had PTSD or what, but that just says there's mental problems with people when you mistake an acorn for a gunshot and getting shot. That that's a domesticated individual, right? Uh, but we got to be growing our own food. And I think somebody mentioned Muscovies; those are great. And Transylvania Farmer says PTSD. He was in the army. He was in the army, but he actually was never in active combat. I, I did read more on it. Anyway, uh, moving on. we got to grow our own food, both animal and vegetable, right? Um, and I think we need to look more and more at the animals that we can produce for meat and or meat and eggs that are more able to be done in more neighborhood environments. So that would bring you to things like quails and rabbits. We can grow so much meat in suburban America if we would get on board with rabbits. If all you did was change your, your lawn from Bermuda grass and chemlawn to a lawn meadow with integrated clover and plantain, and you know, a lawn like, like that is beautiful. My lawn in Pennsylvania, the house I had before we moved back here when I was up there for a few years, we had so much white clover. And one of my neighbors mowed the place for me. He had a landscaping business. He's like, I could come in here and treat that, and you would have all grass instead of that clover. I'm like, don't you ever talk. I even told him, this guy's name was Joe. I'm like, when you see a big stand of clover in the middle of my lawn, and it's in flower, don't just mow around it. You can charge me. I don't want it cut because the bees come, and they pollinate my garden. It was hard for him to get his head around. But if you had that in a bag mower... And you built yourself a little uh, mini hay baler, and there's you build it out of plywood and some other scrap wood. There's pl tons of plans on YouTube on how to do that. All summer, spring, fall, you can feed your rabbits your lawn. And through the winter, you can use the hay that you've made from your lawn to feed your rabbits and maybe buy a bag or two of pellets as a backup. And what do people say? Well, rabbits, if you eat rabbits, you're going to get rabbit poisoning and shut up. You don't know what you're talking about and just stop talking. Don't ever talk to anybody again until you, you cure your ignorance. That is not a thing. You need to shut up 
You are not educated enough to talk to people about rabbits if you're going to say that. I think I've offended everybody that thinks that way, and I don't get emails about it anymore, about rabbit poisoning. There's no such thing. There's lack of fat. The people that got rabbit fever or whatever and got sick or died that were settled, they're eating starving rabbits on the top of mountains that had no fat on them and not eating any internal organs. A domestic, well-fed rabbit has some fat. It's still pretty lean. You need more fat, but you need fat. It's not too much protein. It's insufficient fat. You require protein and fat to live. Protein is an essential macronutrient for humans. Okay? Fat is an essential macronutrient for humans. If you put somebody on a diet that is either 100% protein or 100%... No, I don't want to use that figure. 100% protein-free or 100% fat-free. If you do either one, you will kill that person in time. You will kill that person in time. Every time. If you put somebody on a 100% zero carbohydrate diet with sufficient fat and protein to make up enough calories to provide their bodily needs, they can live a normal, long, in fact, extended life. Very free of disease. I said I wouldn't go keto carnivore on you. I'm not. I'm just telling you, those are the two macronutrients you have to have, so we need to grow animals. We need to grow animals and eggs. And I think quail, you can grow quail in a single stack in a garage, more meat than a family needs. You're probably going to be pretty dependent on a feed store. But it's cheap, comparatively speaking, and there's other things you can do. Rabbits, you can literally feed rabbits with a lawn and some fodder trees. And one buck and three doe rabbits can feed a family their meat requirements. You'll still need to supplement fat. Buy your bacon, grow your rabbits. Muscovy ducks are wonderful. Ducks are wonderful. Chickens are wonderful. Goats, sheep, all of it. But you can live right in the middle of a suburb with HOA blue hairs wandering around, and you can grow rabbits or quail and get away with it. And so that's why I'm saying that's at least something we need to look at, right? Next up, you need to homeschool your kids. And you need to do whatever you can to empower other people to homeschool their kids. As soon as you see the school system for what it is, you cannot come to another alternative because you love your children. So I want you to think about this reality. The purpose of the school system is to train your children to be compliant and obey the state. That's its primary directive. That's its first directive. The second is to push the political agenda of whoever runs your local school system. That's its second directive. Okay? Its third directive is to make sure that enough children are in the seats on a daily basis that it qualifies for the money that it gets per student so that it can fulfill those first two directives. That's three directives. The fourth directive is to provide enough education that parents are satisfied and willing to let their children be trained and taught by their enemy. Education's fourth, and even that is for a nefarious purpose. You tell me I'm wrong, and I will tell you this right now. You can be a Ph.D. educator. You can be just a person that believes in the school system. If you want 
to have a professional, organized, controlled debate with a third-party moderator against me on a live stream with agreed-upon terms before we begin, how much time we get, completely respectful, not shy, I will debate anybody. That, that's the, that is the primary directive of the education system in America. You can take any position you want counter to it. Bring it on. Let's go. And I will be polite, and I will follow the rules we agree to, and I will destroy you. And even if you don't like it, you probably know that I will. And not because I'm a good debater, which I am, but because the facts are on my side here. That's what the schools do. Your children ceased being children that needed an education as the number of the administrators in your school system went up. That's the iron law of bureaucracy. That's how it cuts on the backstroke. So as you as the iron so what the iron law of bureaucracy says, any organization will have two primary types within it. Those dedicated to the mission and those dedicated to the organization. Okay, this is Jeffrey Pornell wrote this. And in time, the people that are dedicated to the mission will always be sidelined by the people dedicated to the organization. And the people that are dedicated to the organization itself will rise to positions of authority and completely control everything as far as policy and monetary flow in the organization to where the people that are actually dedicated to the mission become second-class citizens subject to the whims of the control of those at the top. But there's, there's something Pornell left out of there. The people that do that are parasites. I think that was implied. But the next part was not implied, and it needs to be said. What do parasites do? What is the primary function of a parasite? I'm one parasite. I get inside an organism and I infect it. What is my number one goal in life? What is my number one goal in life as a parasite once I infect an organism? Kelly, thank you. Kelly, yes, I just wanted, I wanted somebody to say it before I had to. There it is. Reproduce. Multiply. Become more. So what happens once the parasites take over the education system or any bureaucracy? They start multiplying. Parasites, in that environment, they just don't want more equal to them. They want to be the lead parasite. How do you judge the success of a bureaucrat? Something, you know, this is in Rich Dad Poor Dad, by the way. It's one of the reasons I still recommend that book, even though I know it's completely made up bullshit fiction. Because it's got a lot of truth in it, right? Kind of like some other books. Right? What, what, how do you measure the success of a bureaucrat? How? How do bureaucrats measure their own success? Title? What does the title mean, though? Come on, somebody, come on, Kelly, you got reproduce. Reproduce what, though, when you're a parasitic bureaucrat? You measure success as a parasitic bureaucrat based on how big your budget is and how many people work for you. That's how success is, and Kelly says power. Probably just behind me. Power and influence. Power and influence, right? But power and influence for a bureaucrat is about how many people work for them. How big is their department? So if you are administrators inside a bureaucracy, you will never really have a team of missions. 
the bureaucrats in the school system that are important bureaucrats do not have teachers reporting to them. You see how it works? It's a hierarchy setup. So the, bu- the top bureaucrat has lots of other bureaucrats reporting to them. That layer of bureaucrats has the peon layer of bureaucrats reporting to them. And the peon layer of bureaucrats tell the missions in a school system of teachers what to do. But it all comes from the head of the snake. It's so simple the mind repels it. It's so simple the mind repels it. Burn through the budget or you'll get less next year. Absolutely. How much money they spend. Bureaucrats measure their success on title, body count of people that report to them, and how much money they spend. Legendary Farm and Homesteads, probably a little behind us, says the number of people below them. Exactly. You're getting it. That's what you're sending your kids to when you send them to the government school system. Bureaucracy is an MLM, says Lovecat. MLMs are much more honest than the school system, though. At least you have to sucker somebody into willingly giving you money for some shit they could have bought for half price somewhere else. The school system just takes your money. They sign you up for the pyramid whether you want to be in it or not. You either buy a house and pay property taxes, or you rent a house and pay your landlord's property taxes. I love renters that think they're not paying property tax. Yet, you see, when I'm your landlord, I'm so benevolent that I charge you rent based on the financing cost of the property, the overhead of the property, everything. But I I leave the the taxes out. I, I pay those for you because that's why I'm in business as a landlord. Right? Love Cats says Scamway, right? Scamway is more honest than the public education system. Get your kids out of it. And and one thing I think we need to do is develop some form of educational co op system. Here's the reality your kids can get a fantastic education the way that my grandkids do. My, my, My wife helps guide them in their education and make sure they do their work. They get their education from Excellus, and there's other programs like that. There's no reason there couldn't be a large building with an adult or two to supervise kids to make sure they're not, like, having knife fights with pens and shit, right? And that they do their work, and if they need help, they have guidance. And what do people say? Hire a retired teacher. Hire a teacher who's tired of the system. No, you don't do that. You don't need that. Teachers are babysitters. You need a babysitter. Babysitters are much cheaper, cheaper than teachers. You pay for the educational curriculum. You get together as parents. You find a place that the kids can go. And you pay the people who watch the kids and guide them while they're there. And you know the best people you could pay? Doesn't matter what their careers were. Good, honest people who are older and don't want a regular job anymore. Grandparents. Grandparents. They're wise. They can't be bullshitted. You want to try to bullshit somebody when you're a kid? Bullshit a 25-year-old teacher right out of college. They're still wrapped up in bullshit themselves. How hard is it to bullshit a 60-year-old man? How hard is it to bullshit a 60-year-old man that knows how to rebuild a carburetor without a book? You tell me, guys. In the, in the, rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being super easy. 10 being really hard. How hard is it for a 12-year-old kid to bullshit a 60-year-old man who knows how to rebuild a carburetor? 1 to 10. Put it in the chat while we go. That's what you need. 
You need people who are a little bit too old to be out there busting their hump anymore. Give them something to do. So Roger T says on a one to tw- one to ten, it's a twelve. Mike, my grandson hasn't figured this out yet. He he's thirteen. He still tries to bullshit me. He has gotten smart enough, right? Lovecat says depends on the man. I've known too many fools in my life. Didn't know how to rebuild a carburetor without a book. <laughs> With current tech, fifteen, right? Yeah, my grandson, he doesn't know that he, he can't get away with bullshitting, but he knows as soon as he's caught. He's learned the look. He's learned when he starts talking, and I just do, for those on the video, I just do this. It's like, oh, shit, I'm busted. He doesn't get why it's so fast, though. Because we've seen it all. That's what you need. I can't do this because you're full of shit. Do your work, John. That's it. And you know what? They need places to explore and, like, Maybe they work two hours a day, maybe an hour on, go do some other things, hour off, independent stuff. Then they have the socialization. It's actually socialization. Decent oversight. Make sure nobody dies. Give them old school monkey bars. If somebody breaks an arm, that's okay. Right? Here's the problem. The state's going to call it a daycare center. So you either need to figure out how to deal with that one way or another. And you need to pick the right state to do something like that. in. But we need more of that. We need more of that. So the person that's a two-income family, they can't do anything else for now, but they have money. They can afford 75 bucks a month for Excellus and to chip in 100 bucks a month for something like this to help finance it. You don't need that many kids. It's part-time work, right? It's all-day babysitting and part-time work. And as you, you get more and more kids into it that are older and you require a certain level of conduct from them, the kids become self-policing. And the older kids raise up instead of pick on the younger kids. Used to work just fine. They called them one-room schoolhouses. I'm talking about bringing back the one-room schoolhouse with modern technology. This is what I'm talking about. Boy, we're going to get your kids out of there. Develop multiple income streams. Some probably gray market. I have this flag behind me in all these videos, right? And you see that line that goes like this right here? A lot of people know that's the Agoras flag, but I don't think they get the symbolism. Gray market, black market, and the line between the two. That's the symbolism. And so what's a gray market business? A gray market business is every one of your buddies knows that you're a reloader and you reload ammunition for them. And sometimes they give you things because you do that, but it's not really because you do that because otherwise it would be illegal. That's gray market. Ammunition is not illegal. Reloading ammunition is not illegal. Giving ammunition to your friend is not illegal. right? But manufacturing ammunition for resale without an FFL, that would be illegal. There's probably wiggle room on that line, on that flag, somewhere to how to do that. But you need multiple income streams. Why? It always amazes me when you tell someone who says they're a prepper that they need multiple income streams, and they say, why? And you say, well, how many backup systems do you have for this one thing? And they'll say at least two. And you say, why? Two is one, and one is none. Hmm. Income streams work the same way. Two is one and one is none. Three is for me. Four is even more. Five keeps you alive. Six is the kick. Seven is heaven. Eight is great. Nine is fine. Right? Like, you should have as many as you can get. You know what? You know who had the most income streams of any demographic in this country just 50 years ago, let alone 100? Farmers. That's Farmer Joe. He farms corn and beans. Yeah? You know what else he does? About 500 other things. 
Farmer Joe was the dude that had three cars sitting in front of his barn with a for sale sign on them. You think he did that because he just wanted to get rid of some cars? Farmer Joe had four or five cars sitting in front of his barn for sale, and when you stopped by to talk to Farmer Joe, he said, Well, Tommy told me that one is $1,850. A deal? Here's Tommy's number. Call Tots. Tommy's car. That's not my car. Tommy's just going to give me a hundred bucks when the car sells. Right? Right? The farmer, hunt? You want to hunt deer here? Yeah, no problem. Uh, $1,000 for two guns. Deer lease. Now, y'all want to pay me? Somebody else will. We'll buy now. Farmers were the ultimate multiple income streams. Farmers are smart. They figure out how to build a piece of equipment that's not generally available by buying some old piece of shit that nobody uses anymore and getting on a welder. Next thing you know, they're selling one of them to everybody in their area who looks at what they're doing and wants a piece of equipment that does that. Right? That That's, that's the mindset we need. This was the most entrepreneurial country on the planet when the majority of people were farmers. And now we've lost so much of that. We've lost so much of that. We need to develop multiple income streams. We need the restoration of home economics as a virtuous form of education. I think we need to complete... I'm, I'm going to be doing a series of shows on things we need to teach children. That's something I kind of thought of this morning when I was walking around bouncing this one in my head. But one of the things we've really lost is home economics. I took home economics when I was in 11th grade. Now, when I was in 11th grade, mostly, right... It was girls took home economics. And we learned shit like how to sew and cook and whatever. Now, I'm going to be honest. I took home economics because I was like, wait a minute, there's a, there's a class I could take? And, and almost everybody in the class with me is a girl? And I get to cook food for myself and eat it. I'm in. You know, by the time I was a junior, I had so many credits knocked out already. I needed something to do with it anyway. You can only take so many study halls and get out so early, right? So, like, it was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. But you know what? All those girls that were in that with me, you know what they knew how to do? Take a sock with a hole in it, take a needle and thread, and with about two cents worth of thread, make the sock work for another two or three or four months before you had to replace it. Every single girl that took that class, knew how to do that. Do you know who I knew was doing that long before I took that class? My grandma. My grandma, I get a hole in a sock and I go to throw it. What are you doing? We're going to darn those socks. Oh, darn them? Darn sock? In no! Give me that. Let me show you. And she'd show me how to do that. Why do we throw things away so easily? Because we have disposable money. We have fiat money, but that fiat system is dying, and fiat mentality has to die with it. Don't worry, I won't turn this into Bitcoin or keto today. But even if we're going to use this monetary system that they have and say we're stuck with it, well, then you have to make it go further. Look at what it costs. My, my wife went to the grocery store the other day. She came home with two little bags of shit. She was like, it was $101. I don't drink a lot of beer anymore, but you know, when I do, I like to drink like really light beers. Michelob has a new Ultra that's uh, Ultra Golden. It's organic and it actually tastes like beer, but it's really low in carbs. Like, yeah, I went to buy a six-pack of that the other day. It's fucking $12 for a six-pack. $2 a beer at the beer store. 
I used to pay a dollar fifty for beer at a bar. Two bucks included fifty cents for a tip. I'm not even using military bars where it was a bar. I remember when I first went to Panama, beer was seventy-five cents. A bottle of beer open for you on the bar, seventy-five cents. Throw the quarter in the tip jar. The guy did good for himself with it. I'm talking about a red. I remember when I first moved here to Texas. I'm talking like a redneck full-on country bar with a cover charge at the door. A bottle of beer was a buck fifty. Now it's two dollars at the beer store. For shitty beer. That's not even like Chimay or something. This is like shitty low-end mass-produced beer. And I was like, well, it is USD organic and super low carb. What's what's a what's a six-pack of course like? Eleven fifty. We can't afford we can't afford this shit anymore. We we've got to take a different approach. We got to restore home economics and learning how to make things last, learning how to cook, all of these things. Whatever educational paradigm you use for your kids, that needs to be part of it. I work with the kids in cooking, gardening, all this shit. And we just tell them it's part of your school. Well, it's not what Dr. Billing says. I don't give a shit. He has four subjects, I have eight for you to learn. And really those eight mostly fall under home economics. Growing your own food is part of home economics, by the way. We also need to develop things like industrial arts and things again, but I won't get into that today. We need to develop in our people and our children extensive financial literacy. By the time a kid is 16 years old, he should be able to explain the banking system to you the way that I do all the time. I don't mean every single level of it. You should, at 16, a kid should be able to sit down, you should ask a kid, how does the mortgage work? And he should be able to sit down with a pen and draw a diagram that shows you exactly how a mortgage works. Not how you apply for one. That would be good, too. Not how they evaluate whether you can pay the money back. You know, not with the difference between a 3% FHA loan and a 20% conventional. I don't mean all that. I mean just what happens. The bank says yes to your loan. Where does the money come from? How does it get paid back? Who makes the profit? What consideration was tendered, and why was the loan made? Using grown-up words like I just did. 16 can't do it, not a sufficient education. And that's not extensive financial literacy. That's basic financial literacy. By the time you're in your 20s, when you listen to me talk about finance, economics, and taxes, you should not have to look up a word that I use. I don't speak like a Harvard MBA about money. I just use the right words for the right things because it's the right word for the right thing. And don't dumb it down. That's all. You should understand that by the time you're in your 20s. Or you do not have the financial knowledge necessary to survive in the world today. And I said it's not Bitcoin, but if you did, you would own Bitcoin. You would own some. I promise you. I don't have to convince you to own Bitcoin. I just have to convince you to become financially literate. And you will. You will. Once you understand how rigged the game is, you'll look for something outside of the rigged game. You'll come down on precious metals or Bitcoin. And if you're smart, you'll come down on both. Because the future is yet to be written. Never forget that. We also need huge natural system knowledge. Like I said, I'm going to do this whole series of shows on like probably five or six shows on like ten things children need to learn. But one would be something like every kid... By the time they, they're like high school age and out of high school, should be able to walk around where they live and point to trees and say, that's a live oak, that's a post oak, here's how you tell the two apart. Yeah. That's a black locust, it's not from here, Papa planted it. 
He uses it for fuel wood. He does coppicing and explain what a coppice is. That's natural knowledge. This is an egg. It comes from a chicken, not from a store. Oh, yes, it sat out on the counter for the last three days. It's fine. Why would you worry that an egg wasn't refrigerated for three days? Because you've been conditioned to believe something that's untrue. Let me, let me just explain to you how stupid that belief is. So let's say that I want to hatch a bunch of chickens. And I have like four hens. And one's a deadbeat hen. I don't know which one, but I get two to three eggs a day. So somebody's not doing her job. And I'm like, you know what, I need more chickens. And I want 20 chickens, three eggs a day, three times seven days is 21 eggs. So somewhere between six and eight days, I'll have enough eggs to hatch out 20 chickens. Basic math, right? Unless you're a common core student, everything I just said made sense to you. Okay. So, it's Monday. I go out to Henrietta and her girlfriend's coop. She's got a rooster, too. His name is Stu, because one day, you know, Stu's going to be you know, done. So we know that they're taken care of. The numbers are right. High fertility in the eggs. I get three eggs today. I want to hatch all my chickens on the same day. What, my friends in the live chat, do I do with those three eggs? I don't put them in the refrigerator, because if I do, I will kill the embryonic development in the egg. So what do I do with the eggs? I put them on the counter at room temperature. Now I have three eggs. Tuesday comes. I go out. Everybody gave me an egg today. Right? Deadbeat hen popped one out too. I have four eggs. Now what do I do? I take those four eggs and I put them on the counter next to those three eggs. I go out on Wednesday. Deadbeat Henrietta and one of her sisters have hosed me over. I got two eggs. I take the two eggs, I put them on the counter next to the eggs that I already had, the seven eggs, now I have nine eggs. Almost halfway there. And I keep doing this. You know, maybe they take Sunday off, I don't know. Maybe I wanted some eggs, so I kept some, and I ate a couple eggs on Saturday. But one way or another, about eight days into this, I have my 20 eggs. Now what happens when I put all 20 eggs in the incubator on the same day? Those of you who have done this know what happens. The eggs all hatch about the same time. Within about 24 hours, almost every egg that's going to hatch will hatch. If it doesn't have, hatch within, if the last egg doesn't hatch within 24 hours of the first egg, it's probably a dead egg that's not going to hatch. Something's wrong. Why? Because sitting at room temperature, this is what I'm saying, this is natural system knowledge I'm giving you right now if you didn't already have it. Right? And most of you know this, so I'm using it to teach you something. Since you, the best way to teach somebody something is to use something they already know to explain what they haven't learned yet or haven't realized that they know yet. Right? So I put them all in the thing. Now the eggs that I put on the counter on day one were eight, nine days old when they went in the incubator. And they hatched, and they're probably the first ones to hatch by a few hours. Because there was a little bit of development that happened, but we didn't shut it down. It just kind of went into like a stasis. So let me ask you a question. If the egg was bad and unsafe to eat, how did it turn into a chicken? 
Now, anybody with common sense goes, well, that's, that's, that's not a thing. The egg, if the egg went bad and you put it in an incubator, all it would have done is stunk and rotted and not became a chicken. Right? Because you have natural system knowledge. Right? That's natural systems knowledge. Now, can you bullshit a person who believes everything they're told into believing that if I put a package of eggs on my table when I come home from the store with refrigerated eggs, I set that on my table and I forget about it. And that night when I'm getting ready to go to bed, I realize, oh no, I left the eggs out. Oh no, I should throw them away. My six bucks or whatever is gone. Will the person that believes everything the state tells them and has no national systems knowledge believe that? What will the person that knows everything we just talked about do? Ah, shit. Put the eggs in the refrigerator. And go on with their life. Why? Natural systems knowledge. Kids should be able to tell you the trees that grow where they live. Maybe not every one of them, but most of them. And you know who had that assignment in school? Old man Spirico, right? No, I have to say, we never had that assignment. But I don't think it would have been necessary. I mean, the, the, the friends that I grew up with, they knew what a shagbark hickory was. They knew what a beechnut tree was. They knew a white oak from a red oak. They knew where the hemlocks were, where you could go, you know. And we knew where the big white pines were. They were nice. The, you know, hemlocks were one thing, but the boughs go all the way to the ground. Like, the white pine groves up in the mountains surrounded by the hardwoods. When you're drinking beer as a kid... That's where you hung out. It was nice in there. All nice ground cover. You had a little, If it rained a little bit, basically you didn't get wet. If it even snowed a little bit, it was nice and warm in there, blocked the wind. We knew where all that shit was. By the time my kid was growing up, kids didn't know that anymore. I tried what I could to teach. You know what my kid had as an assignment in eighth grade? They had to identify 50 different trees that grew around them, take leaves from them, Attach them to a piece of paper, say what the tree was, where it originated, was it native, did it come from somewhere else in the United States and get transplanted, or was it in a tree from a non-native tree from another part of the world, and three uses for that tree. That was a school assignment. He's only in his 30s, guys. He's not old man. Not yet, anyway. He's getting there just like me, but he's not there. That's natural systems knowledge. You do that. You get out of the cities. You develop your local economy and your local you know, groups that can rely on each other and your local trade networks. You learn to eat natural foods. You get things like seed oils and additives out of your diet. Grow some of your own food. Homeschool your kids and be a lifelong self-directed learner as you're on your own. Um, develop multiple income streams, even just a couple. Little side incomes. Changes everything about the way you think about money. It really does. One of the greatest things you can do for someone that wants to be a prepper is have them learn wilderness survival skills. Most of those skills will never translate into anything you do because there was a storm and your lights went out. But it will psychologically make you realize, I can survive in the woods with very little. So here, with all the stuff that I have around me, there's so much more to work with. I'll be okay. right? So we want to do that. We want to develop that mental state that I can generate income. On some level, we want to restore home economics as a virtuous thing. We want to develop extensive financial literacy and natural system knowledge. And we'll stop acting like 
domesticated animals. You see how simple that is? So, you know what all those things are? Natural human behavior. It is not natural human behavior to eat a box with a pretty food in a pretty box with 87 ingredients in it, most of which you do not recognize or know. Put it a different way. What is natural? If I'm walking through the woods and I look and I go, that's a chanterelle mushroom. And I'm 100% sure that that's a chanterelle mushroom. And I know what a chanterelle mushroom is. I know how to cook a chanterelle mushroom. What do you think my happy little ass is going to do? Chanterelles, baby, the knife comes out and I'm, I have to carry them in my shirt. They're going home with me. That's completely natural. What would be unnatural? That's a mushroom. I don't know what kind of mushroom that is. And I don't know how to properly prepare it or if I should eat it at all. Is it a mushroom that will make me see spacemen and, and go on a journey in my brain and I need to take a little bit of it? Is it a mushroom that will kill me dead? Is it a mushroom that will make me massively sick? Or is it a culinary delight? I don't know. You know what you do? You don't fucking eat it. Right? None of you would be like, oh, that's some weird little mushroom. I don't know what it is. I'll eat that. No, you would say, I don't know what it is. And until I understand it, I'm not going to eat it. Tell me you understand what the fuck FD&C yellow number three is. Tell me you under actually fundamentally understand the process where we take a plant called rapeseed and turn it into oil that we call canola oil. Tell me you really understand that process. You don't understand how the food became what you're looking at. A natural human response is, I'm not eating that. Now, you might learn the process and say, well, I'm comfortable with that and I'll eat it, but you, would ha you wouldn't take somebody's word that lied to you thousands of other times it was safe to eat. I mean, let's just say that I was a little shiftier than I am. Let's say I was a little bit more like my buddy David. And you were looking at something in a bowl, and you weren't sure what it was. And I said, go ahead, eat it. You going to eat it? Or are you going to be like, nah, Jack, you eat it. Right? And even if I eat it, if I'm like, go ahead, eat it. You say, well, what is it? Don't worry about it. You might be like, yeah, I'm not eating that. God knows what the hell's in there. If you read a box and you don't know what it is, the natural human response is don't eat it. Red number 40 is beetle carapaces, if I recall correctly. I don't know if you do, but carapace is like this area right here. right? On a, on a shrimp, when you hook a shrimp for bait, you look, you can see his little shrimp brain, a live shrimp, and right behind there is like a hollow spot, and you stick the, the hook through that hollow spot behind the brain, that's the carapace. So if, if, if Roger's right, it's that part of a beetle. <laughs> you know? Don't eat food you don't understand. My final thoughts today. This is actually so easy. Everybody should do it, but most people won't, including people that love me and listened all day today, listened to the whole episode. Most people won't do it. It's because the cow knows the grass really is greener on the prairie. But he's so conditioned to stay on the farm. I should say she. Because if you, if, you don't think, if you think gender is fluid, go milk a bull and find out. So she's like, eh. I've had three calves here. It's his home. Where's your calves? I don't know. They just... One day, 
disappeared, but they were happy right up until they did. And I assume they're in a better place. My belly. That's where they are. So she stays there. The pig could get away. Damn sure no. My ducks don't like fly all over. There's not a duck I own that couldn't fly over that fence and they don't do it. When you know, when you listen to truth like I've shared with you today, and you just won't do it, what you're saying is my captivity is too comfortable. But here's the thing. And this is why I'm so hard on you guys about improving your health, because I did it. You don't know how shitty you feel until you stop feeling shitty. When you're captive, it's the same thing. You don't know how captive you are until you experience freedom. And here's one of the best ways you can experience freedom. Go somewhere where a freedom you take for granted does not exist. You don't even have to leave the country to do it. The first time I spoke at Free State Project, um, I was talking about basic preparedness, and one of the things I said was carry a knife. And I pulled a knife out that I happened to have a liner lock knife in my pocket, and I opened the knife. I said, I carry a knife everywhere I go. And it was a decent-sized knife. So, after the talk, this girl, I think her name was Deborah, if I remember right, came up to me and said, where'd you fly into? And I said, Boston Logan, and we drove up. She goes, where was the knife? So I put it in my suitcase. She said, when you got your suitcase and everything in your rental car, did you leave the knife in the suitcase? Or did you take it out? I said, I opened the suitcase, all my EDC was in a Ziploc bag, and I took it and put all my EDC on me. And she said, well, I want you to know that when you go back to Logan, don't do that in case you get pulled over. You committed a felony from the time you left the airport until you crossed the border between the state of Massachusetts and the state of New Hampshire. And you would hope that a reasonable cop, knowing you're from out of town, would realize you didn't understand it and would be like, there was no intent here, put that away. And a lot of cops, to be fair, would, but some wouldn't. Think about the fact, I can walk all over the state of Texas carrying that knife. I've done it my whole adult life. I've never hurt anybody with a knife in my life, except myself. We've all probably cut ourselves one time or another. And I could have had my life destroyed for carrying a tool that was an inch too long, according to a piece of paper where somebody wrote some things that I was supposed to know, even though I was, at the time, really not familiar with the fact that anybody could end up in trouble for a knife with, like, a five-inch blade. That's a folding pocket knife. Made no sense to me. As soon as she told me, I believed her. That's all it takes. There are so many things like that, you don't even feel it. You don't even feel it. Because the last person that knew a place when that rule didn't exist, either as a law or as a social convention, in your family line was your grandpa or your great-grandpa. You're so divorced from that. You go to the UK, for instance, as a tourist, it's very hard for you to understand... You can't own a gun here? There's no piece of paper you can get that says you can carry a gun? No? If you have a gun, you can go to prison for like more than a decade? 
for having a gun. Not for shooting somebody, not just for having it. It's horrific to you. You know the person from the UK comes to the United States thinks, oh my God, anybody could just buy a gun? Like, I saw a guy, he was at a restaurant, and when he leaned over, his shirt came up. He had a gun on him. Oh yeah, that that's okay. <gasps> They're horrified by freedom. And we are horrified by the removal of freedom. We're the same genetically. We're both humans. We have the same mental capacity to understand. We were brought up in a system that conditioned us to a specific set of beliefs. One that the right to self-defense was inherent to the individual and no government had a right to remove it. Even though much of that's been done, that's still the spirit of what exists in the United States and in the UK. You need the government to protect you from what somebody will do with a gun if they get their hands on it because the gun is dangerous rather than the person. And it amazes people from foreign countries who come here. Many times they're very afraid, but they come anyway. And then they go out, and as long as they're not in like Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York City or Chicago, where they have stringent gun control, by the way, they come to Fort Worth, Texas, probably every third person you walk past owns a gun, and probably every fifth or sixth you walk past has one on them. And everything's peaceful. Nobody's getting stabbed like they do in South London. Nobody's getting shot. And if somebody does try to hurt somebody, there's somebody there with a gun to protect others when their own cops don't have guns. Then they're like, oh my God, how does this all work? That's the bird with the cage door open that is not ready to fly. I'm asking you to see that the cage never had a door. It's always been open. You've always had wings. Spread them. Fucking fly, folks. Don't let this system dictate to you the way you're going to live, raise your children. Don't follow rules that you do not have to follow. Be careful with laws, but rules are not laws, and rules are things like everybody go to college, right? You have to do this. You have to owe somebody money. All this shit. No, you don't. Can't say certain things. Bullshit. If it was true that you can't say certain things, my head would have exploded long ago, right? I've been right on the air. I think <laughs> hadn't happened. I'm proof. You can live as a freeman. And the more you do, the more you will pity those who don't, and the more you will call out to them to join you. That's the leadership we need. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Let me wrap up real quick here. I remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always help us out in a couple different ways. One thing, you know, I talked a lot about education today, and I'm building an entire educational platform to teach people how to do real things. And making compost is one of the most real things you can do. And making compost that's highly bioactive is something that can really transform your ability to feed yourself. It is something that will make you completely independent from the system. There are waste streams near you you can harvest for not much money or completely free or maybe even be paid to take away. And if you know the way to make the best compost possible through bioreactors, you can feed yourself with compost and a garden. You really can the course I have is only 40 bucks. It's called uh, Simplified Bioreactor Composting. Everybody that's taken it so far 
has sent us positive feedback or none. We have not had any feedback at all that was negative. A few technical issues that we fixed. Please consider taking this course. Develop this information. Billy Bond, um, who has taken a, a course on soil and composting that cost him thousands of dollars. Because he's an influencer, I gave him a free seat in the course. He said, this is his quote, In your first hour, I learned more relevant things than in 10 hours of this other course in a way that was easier to understand and more practical. That's what I'm offering. It's 40 bucks, 35 for MSB members. Please consider taking this course if you haven't done so yet. You can find it at homefoodsystems.com. And the picture you're looking at there, that's just two plants, one in really good potting soil, one in my compost. Pictures are worth 1,000 words. I think maybe this one might be worth 10,000. Next thing, you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. When you do your online shopping at tspaz.com, you help us out no matter what you eventually buy. Today's item of the day, let's say you don't want to wait a year for your compost. You want to make compost now. Well, if you're making a year for that bioreactor compost, you still want some now. And even though I do bioreactor composting, I also do worm composting. And I didn't for years because every worm farm that I tried to run here, I ran into fire ant problems. When I found the Urban Worm Bag composting bin, I found a system that is inherently resistant to ants. It breathes, and it just works better. And I now own two of them, and I worm compost in addition to my bioreactor composting. And now I don't mind putting worms in my bioreactors because I have my own worms. I also have them living in my aquaponic systems, too. I have a cool little video on my channel you might want to check out about that. Just like gobs of worms living in an ebb and flow bed. But this is the way to do it. They're on sale today. And whether you buy this or anything else, if you start your online shopping at tspaz.com, you'll help us out no matter what you buy. With that, I am done for you. I'm done with it today. And Kelly says you have a video on this too, don't you? Yes. If you go look at the write-up at thesurvivalpodcast.com or tspaz.com on the Urban Worm Bag in the write-up, there's an embedded video where you can see kind of a review of how everything works. I, I really got a lot of great feedback in the comments today. I watched it as best I could. It's hard when you're by yourself and monologuing to also stay with the comments. But I hope that you don't just take away kind of excitement from a show like this. And some reinforcement that you're right about the problems in the world. I hope you take action. Please build your knowledge. Not just through shows like this and books and reading and YouTube videos. All of that's great. But get your hands dirty. Go out and do things. Develop school skills. Take adult continuing education courses. That's education worth having. Become financially literate. Go to Investopedia and sign up for the financial term of the day. Just learn the vocabulary that these people use against you on a daily basis. Don't be ignorant to reality and don't be so ignorant to reality that you believe in false reality. Question everything. Get your information from all the sources. Ignore the noise. Focus on the signal. Build your life the way you want it because you get one You get one life to live. Educate your children and know you don't get to live their life. You don't get to make decisions for them. That's why it's so critical that you give them the foundational education they need to not need you when they become adults. You'll always be mom and dad. 
You'll always be there, but they will leave. They will be on their own. They will have their own kids, their own lives, their own problems, their own struggles, and they should. Your job is to give them the tools they need now so they can be that adult then. So you can transition from someone who tells them what to do and when to do it to having a child that's also one of your best friends. This is a path for that. That alone would make it worth it. Everything else is gravy. Take care, guys. I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode. Show you a better way